Al Barry. With me is Tim Parrish, and this is Puck Junk Podcast number two, for lack of a better title. What do you want to talk about today? Oh, I think we need to talk about another new product like we did last week. A new product? Uh, okay, what do you got in mind? Well, newer product from the year, from this year. Let's talk about MVP. Okay, so we're going to talk about 2014-15 MVP, which was 99 cents a pack for five cards. Came out before the hockey season even started, so we're a little late in talking about this, but haven't gotten our hands on any new product, new new product yet, so we're going to talk about a new kind of old product. 200 card base set, 100 card short prints. What do you think, Tim? I guess this is even an even better time to talk about this one since they Upper Deck just released the new preview images of the 15-16 MVP. So, dear God, yeah, you know already, and it's not even summer yet. I like the I like the product from the standpoint of an individual product. You know, the last few years MVP has been relegated to an insert set only. Back in the day of the 2006, 7, 8, 9, you know, MVP was its own released brand. The design kind of got a little stale because it became really difficult to really distinguish between one year to the next. I think most people agree that it collected the product. It's really hard to tell the difference between one year from the next because of the white border and the design. This particular year, 14, 15, they mixed it up a little bit. They don't have the white borders anymore. Um, it's more of a gray, kind of kind of bleed out type ice slash, I don't know what you would call it type border. But uh, it's also got the the gold on the bottom. I w- I was a fan of this product back in the day, just because of the fact the price point was a little more affordable for most collectors, and it was an easy set to put together. Um, I think that holds true for fourteen fifteen as well being that it's only 300 cards and the fact that even the short prints are one per pack uh, especially when you bought it in the hobby product so you know it, it's not my favorite product let's put it that way but uh, it, I think it's definitely a solid release especially from the uh, the rookie standpoint and the you know the stars that are included in the base set so well funny that you say all that because I totally gotta disagree with you sweet I love disagreeing and I gotta tell you, when MVP came out, it's like my spider sense went off. I was just like, "Don't buy it! Don't buy it!" That's that's you just. I knew that it was gonna not be a very good product. Um, I did buy a couple of packs just because that's what I do. I mean, if you're a wine drinker, you sample new wines, right? When they come out, or if you smoke cigars, you try a cigar, even a certain brand of cigar, even though you know it's probably not gonna be a great cigar, right? So, sure. uh, same holds true with card collectors, you know, a couple bucks, you know, dollar a pack. There's such a thing as a bad cigar? I don't know. I, I'm not a cigar okay. smoker. I mean, you know, obviously <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a card collector. I, I, I have one vice that's enough. Here was my first problem with MVP, is that it doesn't really fit. I'm kind of tired of all the upper deck sets that are similar. Like, you talked about how MVP was kind of indistinguishable from year to year and you know they kept using that shield shape to like you know around the pictures Correct. so that's why a lot of them looked similar i even traded somebody for from for cards from the wrong year because i mistook like this year for that year and i'm like oh man i have these already cuz they looked so similar my first problem with it is that it comes out so early in the season 
there are really not many rookie cards inserted in the packs. They did the redemption rookies, uh, which I don't even know the details on that. I don't know if it's one per box or I, I don't know what the deal was. But well, you end up being only limited to the guys that premiered late the season before or in the playoffs. You don't really get a lot of the new draft. My so my first problem is that it's not going to have a lot. It's not going to have a lot of rookie cards, and that's just kind of a turnoff. It's like I could wait another month and then get a set that has a few more new players in it. Uh, secondly, a 200 card base set, 100 card short print set. That I find annoying because if I'm going to track down short prints, I want them to be short prints that I want. You know, and rookie cards usually are enough of a motivation for most people. You know, they'll even pay three to five bucks for a young gun of a player that doesn't pan out just because they want that short print. But the short prints in this year's MVP set is a mix of a couple of rookies, a couple of retired greats like Patrick Waugh. I actually have a Patrick Waugh card. And then some of the, the big stars like Sidney Crosby. He has a checklist card that's part of the base set, but if you want the standard Sidney Crosby card, it's one of the short prints. Ovechkin is one of the short prints. Patrick Kane is one of the short prints. So the first 200 base cards doesn't even have all the best players in it. So I don't, I don't see what the upside is. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that to a certain point, but I think the draw of MVP was never necessarily about the base cards. Now, I know you're going to say, well, the price point is more for the younger collector, the more affordable collector. You know, price point has been, I don't know, I don't remember what it was in 06, but I'm going to assume it was close to a buck a pack like it is now. No, it was more like a dollar fifty-nine. But you got more cards, and here you get less cards. We're all going to agree that it was a lower-end set. You know, it's not the high end. You're not you're not going to get the hits out of this one. In fact, I don't even know that there were any hits in this one as far as, you know. There were autographs. There were autographs, okay. Autographs and parallels. The draw to MVP and all the people that I know that collect MVP on the side are the collectors that are looking for the parallel cards. They're the collectors that are looking for the silver signatures. They're looking for the gold signatures. They're looking for, I think, what did they have in this year's set? The Spectra. Yeah. I think they were called Spectra Light. They were die cut or something like that. Those are those are the collectors that are looking for those specific cards. The Super Scripts. Those have always been the big draw to MVP. And, you know, there's countless collectors out there. Many of them are trying to chase those sets from those years. They're looking for the Super Scripts, the Silver Scripts, the Gold Scripts. And those are the ones that they chase after. So... Upper Deck came out, they made those parallels available. They're not as frequently put in the packs as, as maybe they used to be. Um, you know, obviously, like the sign cards, they, they had those pro sign, they had those one-on-one -on -one signature cards, they had three different types of memorabilia cards, I guess, that were in there, were the, like those souvenir cards. But the fact that they hit like one out of 320 packs or one out of 200 and some packs people weren't going to find those so there was a, definitely a, a thrill to the chase and just from my standpoint like i said i'm not a huge fan of this set but i think it was a solid release just from the standpoint that they didn't necessarily recycle the same design that they could have you know black diamond has never gone away 
but it's been the same set year after year after year. MVP did went went away for a while, and the fact that it was in included in some of the upper deck sets as an insert, as far as the base cards go, it was totally different. It looked nothing like when MVP was a standalone set, and I I kind of liked that then. And the fact that they came out with it again now that they have their exclusive license as its own individual set, let's put it this way: it could have been a thousand times worse, and that's what I was expecting. But I was pleasantly surprised, and I, I, I kind of like the set. I mean, I, I don't hate on it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, and it's funny too that you mentioned parallels because the 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 funny thing is is that I opened actually the packs that I bought. I bought them back in like September, and I actually opened them today. So <laughs> it was obviously really low on you my. Bought them in September, and you opened them today. Yeah, I bought them whatever month they came out, and and I. I opened them today and the top card I looked at I said oh cool I got a parallel because it has like that gold at the bottom and MVP is in gold and in the next one mm-hmm. same thing and I'm like oh wait a minute these aren't parallels this is what they look like so right the base set is all gold um, gold based on the bottom with the MVP logo in gold yeah but Upper Deck really trained us to when we see a gold card we think it's yeah. you know like a gold I'll Fleer Ultra card or like with score and their uh, or Panini and their gold score cards sure you're used to see, you're used to seeing oh well, it's gold so it must be some type of parallel I, I got that I got you there <laughs> like I said it's not my favorite I think it's solid but I don't think it's you know, it's it's not spectacular. I mean, there's so much, way. you know, for a buck a pack, these are pretty nice. I, I like them better than victory cards, but I don't know. I just wish they did more. You know, like, I, I wish... It's better than victory. It's better than... I will say it's better than collector's choice. Yeah. I'll give you that. It's way better than that, but you're right. They could have They could have done more, but for a very base, early-in-the-year product, there's really... I I don't know. I don't, I don't see that they could have done much more than what it was ex- expected to be. You want to move on? Sure. Let's move on. Bigger and better things. Why don't we talk about a, a, an older product since uh, that seems to be a, a good good point of reference. Okay. Yeah, actually, that is a pretty good point of reference because um, there's probably a little bit of similarities between the two products. So uh, this week we're going to talk about the 1992-93 Fleer Ultra set, which came out, obviously, many years ago, over 20 years ago. A couple of interesting things about it. It was distributed in two series. There was 225-card first series, 225-card second series. The first series was pretty notable because it had a Jeremy Roenick insert set, but then there were also parallel autographed versions of that insert set. And then there were other inserts like all-star game players, award winners, ultra rookies, and then in series two there was ultra imports, which were like players from other countries. I mean, it was a set that I put together as a kid, and I still have it today, obviously, and it's a set that I really like. I think back then, I probably appreciated the design a little bit more. This is just right on the cusp where things were starting to get crazy with design. Like, the the front isn't too over-designed. The back is a little crazy because it has two additional pictures of the player and a logo and a line of stats. But I still think it looked nice. I think that was before the, the novelty of, you know, hey, we could cut out a player and superimpose them over this wacky background wore out its welcome. 
I totally agree with you. It was definitely a, a highly influential set because of two things. The photos. Other than Upper Deck, no other card company that I knew of at the time or any of the sets and things that were released at the time actually put forth the effort to show a photo on the front, photos on the back, and they were different photos. How many times do we get card releases where we have the photo on the front and the photo on the back is the same photo only zoomed in or zoomed out or cropped some way? The Fleer Ultra set was one of those sets that was, in my opinion, planned out completely beyond where anybody else was designing product at that point. I think this the, this product was kind of... I don't want to necessarily say revolutionary in its in its design, but I, I think this paved the way for a lot of future sets going forward. You know, you had full bleed photo on the front. Um, the design was sharp. Uh, they were glossy cards. You know, you didn't have that from brand to brand to brand. This wasn't a cookie cutter product like many of the years were. So you really had something different on the market for collectors to pick up. Yeah, and what's interesting about Fleer is that this was their first hockey set. So they kind of skipped, if you think of like the Fleer baseball cards from the 80s and like the Fleer basketball cards from like the late 80s, early 90s. I mean, they were not really great cards other than maybe nostalgia. I mean, I'm sure they all have their own merits. But like Fleer just started, when they started with hockey, they didn't have any ugly ducklings. They went for this really nice set, which I think raised raised the stakes, you know, especially with... Pro set on its way out that year. I like the set. I mean, people will complain that it was overproduced, but so what? If you're gonna get an overproduced, well, what was it? What? That's the thing. What wasn't overproduced in that in that time frame? There wasn't, you know, even the limited cards, the cards that were short printed per se, to thirty five thousand copies. Yeah, and I and I say that with the quotation mark. I'm doing the quotation mark thing, like Austin Powers. That's exactly it. 35,000 print run on a, on a set. Okay, well, to 1992-93 standard, that was limited. To today's standards, people scoff at that and they laugh at that. But, but back then, you know, 35,000 copies, 50,000 copies, that was way better than anything else that was coming out at 150,000 copies or 200,000 copies. I mean, people turned the printing presses on and they never turned them off for months at a time. And just stuff was overproduced and overproduced. This was, in a time of overproduced product, this was the one premium product, I guess, again, in quotation marks, that that people could actually get their hands on. And even now today, I think the product stands on its own. I mean, if it wasn't that popular and if people didn't like it, I don't think Upper Deck would have put it in, used it as the focus of the the 2012-13 Fleer Retro. Oh, yeah. That was one of the key designs in the series of retro that came out that year. I, I really like. I mean, that that again, that was one of the first higher, I guess, higher end sets that I that I went after. The, the The rookies that were in there were probably not the best rookie class ever. Obviously, one of my personal collection guys had his rookie card in there, and that was Bill Guerin. You know, he was in series two, I believe. Um, but you know, you had people like Martin Straka in there, I think, um, Roman Hammerlick, the, the, the journeyman that, that kind of is the butt of a lot of people's jokes at, at this point in, in time. But 
know, you're right in what you said earlier, you know, that that Jeremy Roenick insert set, that was a hot item. I mean, I remember back in the day, people looking for those pretty hot and heavy, and they, they were hard to find, at least, at least in a complete set version. You could find singles here and there, but you, you rarely, rarely found people that with full sets, and most of the time they had a pretty high price tag on them. In all the years of collecting, I've only managed to track down one of the Ronick autographs. Uh, then again, I haven't been looking that hard, but another blogger had one and traded it to me, which is funny because then somebody else tried to buy it off of me the other day, and I'm like, no, <laughs> took me 20 years to get my hands on one of these, uh, one of these Ronick autograph uh, inserts. Well, those were. They were what one out of like eight nine thousand packs or something like that. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I didn't buy nine thousand packs back in the day, but I bought sure. I bought enough boxes of series one to complete my sets, to complete a second set, and probably to complete a third set. And then I still have like a ton of doubles left over because I was trying to, well, obviously get a Ronick autograph, but also you know finish the set, and then you get so many doubles, you're like, yeah, I might as well finish the second set. And then, you know, 20 years later, you sell that set for like $4. <laughs> Make none of your money back on it. Right. But you you end up unloading some cards that you don't have any use for. One of the, one of the big f- things that I liked about this set, being a set collector, is this was one of the first sets that I can remember, at least in the modern era, that organize their cards by team and I don't, that's not important to a lot of people and people don't care about that that much but when you take a set like this and you put it in a binder it makes a big difference well no actually pro set did that in 1991 i'm pretty sure that they were the first but yeah but who put pro set in a book i mean there were like what 900 cards in there i did yeah oh well. 705 cards Okay, we're talking. Not counting. We're talking not about counting uh, errors. Okay, I'm talking about general public versus Salberry. There's a, there's a total difference between 99% of the population. Let's say the rest of it. My pro set, I can tell you, is sitting over on the shelf. It's in a box, and if I never look at it again, I will be okay with that. But for Flair Ultra, you know, Ultra was a set that you wanted to show. It was glossy, really good photography, and the fact that the uh, the cards were pretty slick. I mean, that, that was good, too. I remember putting it in a book, and I thought, oh, well, look, all the Bruins are together. All the Canadians are together. All the Penguins are together. So you have, like, all the cards consecutively. I like that myself from a set collector standpoint and as far as displaying the cards, but that was just, you know, that's just me. That's something else that I, that I enjoyed about that. Shall we head over to some NHL stuff? Let's talk about some NHL stuff. You want to talk about expansion? Oh, yeah. Hockey News reported the other day the Foley group that is basically trying to see if there's interest in season tickets, uh, season ticket buyers, and then also corporate sponsors for a team in Las Vegas. Oh, boy. You lived in Las Vegas. I did live in Las Vegas. I lived there for, for quite a few years, and I can tell you that the Las Vegas crowd, would they enjoy an NHL team? Yes. I will go out on a limb here and I will say that Las Vegas having an NHL team would probably be somewhat successful. And I say somewhat from the standpoint of 
you have to understand that Las Vegas as a population is a very transient population. And that, for those of you that don't understand what that is, those of you listening, that simply means that the same sampling of 100 people that you look at in the month of May, if you go and try to find that same sampling of people in December, you will probably only come up with 70 to 80% of that same sampling. For the reason that people move in and out of that area a lot. It's the nature of how the town is. People don't stay for very long, and those that do are either lifers or they're there for a job, and if that job goes away, so do they. You have a lot of transplant people out there. You have a lot of people that come from you know, one place or another. When I lived out there, I met a lot of people, strangely enough, a lot of people from Pittsburgh. I met a lot of people from New Jersey. I met a lot of people from New York. So you have quite a large sampling of people that aren't natively from Las Vegas. With that being said, even though I think it might be somewhat commercially successful, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea for the NHL. Why not? The NHL needs to have teams in markets that it can support for a long period of time. It doesn't need to have teams necessarily in areas where the fan base is not a native fan base or the fan base is only going to be a fan when there's something exciting, something crazy, or something worthwhile to watch on the ice. Prime example of that is pretty much every marketed team currently in the NHL that consistently misses the playoffs year after year after year after year. Obviously, we all know the the issues that the Phoenix Coyotes have, or what are they, the Arizona Coyotes, I guess now. The last thing I read about that was the city is thinking about revoking their the rights to their stadium or, or whatever it is for their for their new the funding for their new stadium. I mean, it, it's drama one thing after the other, and that's because they can't. Let's be honest, they can't put butts in seats. That that's really what it is. And if you can't maintain that for a long period of time, your investors and everybody else that's got a share in that product, they're going to start questioning what's going on. And if you can't support a team year after year because you may not be able to fill the stadium, there's going to be a problem. You've got countless numbers of markets around the country that would be much more supportive when i say country i mean us and canada north america because how many years have we heard people say we need to get a team in hamilton how many years have we did we hear we need to get a team back in winnipeg okay now we do and we see what happens i mean they have they have sellout games you know during the team makes the playoff they have complete and total whiteouts i mean that was impressive when they would show that on tv for a team that just showed up a couple years ago that that hadn't been there for so many years there's that kind of support i'm not saying that every team that's hurting in north in the united states should move to canada but i'm not thinking that vegas is necessarily the answer so if you were going to put okay so if the nhl went from 30 to 32 teams where would you put two teams as far as geographically or as far as in what division you would put them in or 
we'll worry about the divisions later. I mean, that's that. I mean, that that's part of it of of my thinking. But I mean, you know, I think everybody says Quebec City and Hamilton, right? Sure. Or or give Toronto a second team and 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 Quebec, right? Give Toronto a second team. I didn't even know they had a first team. <laughs> Sorry to all you Leafs fans out there, but come on, you you all know. The, the one Leaf fan, that would be Al Kawamoto listening to this right now, and I don't think the rest of them are aware of this podcast. Well, eventually they will be. Um. <laughs> Geographically speaking, there's so many teams over on the East Coast, on the East side. I mean, it's funny, like, if you look at a map, Chicago's in the Western Conference, but it's really, it's it's closer to Pittsburgh than San Jose. True. And I think they did that with realignment. This past year, where Detroit got moved out of the West and now moved into the East, trying to get all of the teams kind of organized. So essentially, what did they do? Draw a line through Western Michigan down through Indiana and said, okay, everybody on the West side goes here and everybody on the East side goes there. That's certainly the way you could describe it based off of how the line's been drawn. If I was going to put two more teams. On this map, you know, looking at this map and looking where there are teams and where there are no teams, a team in Las Vegas would make sense because it is so relatively close to San Jose, to Los Angeles, to Anaheim, to Phoenix, to even Colorado, or excuse me, you know, Denver, the Colorado Avalanche, that that makes sense. And I know for years, for decades, they've always been saying, why doesn't Seattle have a hockey team? I guess because nobody in Seattle wants to to buy a hockey team but like if i could just plunk two places down on the map be seattle and las vegas uh, that's what i would bring up too why not the pacific northwest i mean you have vancouver up there would you not put a seattle team because vancouver is so close in proximity and at the same time okay well what's your what's your definition of proximity i mean does calgary fall into that proximity to the, to the pacific northwest i don't know seattle seems to be a logical place nevada Here's the, always been the biggest obstacle. Putting a team in Nevada, you have legalized gambling in the state. How do you justify having a professional sports team in the same state that gambling is legal? How do you not draw the line between the conflict of interest between a pro team playing where gambling is legal? And I think that's always been kind of the big issue versus whether or not you could fill a stadium or whether or not you could sell merchandise or or, or any of that kind of stuff. But you got to look where the population is. I mean, that's the bottom line. You look at a map of the West. Where are the teams? You got, you got a few teams in Canada. You got three in California. You have one barely hanging on in Arizona. You have one in Colorado. The rest of them really are in the Midwest. And then you have the stars in, in Texas. That's it. There's nothing else. Gary Bettman has been, you know, maligned for a lot of the places that did get expansion teams like, say, uh, Nashville, right? And I, all along, I, I see what he's doing, and it's working. He's trying, to, he's, he's trying to make people who are not fans into fans, and it's working. I mean, Nashville, you know, I know they had some trouble a couple years ago. It makes sense to put put teams where there's a large population. I mean, look at California. Now you got you got kids who grew up uh, in the '90s who are getting drafted in the NHL, and they're from they're from California. I mean, who would have thought of that 40, 30 years ago, right? But you don't think we're past that point now, where it's oh, it's new, it's this new thing. Yeah, let's build this up. 
I mean, California is long past that. I mean, they talk about every year. Look at all these guys that we have coming in in the rookie class. Oh, this guy came from California. Oh, this guy came from California. It's pretty common now. And that, and you're right, it's because of that. It's because of that you know, late 80s, early 90s era where, let's face it, why do kids play hockey in California? Because Wayne Gretzky went to the Kings. Whether, whether you're a fan of that decision or not or whether you still you know, bemoan that decision, it is what it is. It, it grew the hockey market in California to the point now where you have three teams in California. And they compete. I mean, look at what we have here in the potentially going to the finals. We have the Ducks. The Ducks are one of the last four teams in. The Kings won the Cup last year. You know, the Sharks, they won, well, they won a couple games. They they won the President's Trophy once or twice. You have the markets there that can support that, but you also have that population. I don't know that Vegas is going to be able to support that team. Don't get me wrong. I love Vegas. I love living out there. Sports out there, people are hungry for sports. When I, when I lived there, the Las Vegas 51s, they were a baseball team. They were a minor league team for the Padres. They have since changed. Or were they for the Dodgers? Maybe they were for the Dodgers. But they've since, they've since shifted. They're called the 51s now. Don't, don't even get me started on that name. Obviously, Area 51 played a large part in naming that team. But, you know, a lot of people go to those games. A lot of people go to see them. And it's minor league baseball. I used to go to the Las Vegas Wranglers games all the time. They were an ECHL team. They play at the Orleans Casino because there's a, there's, a, there's a rink there. And quite a few people actually went to those games. I, I went to a lot of Wheeling Nailers games back in the day. And not a, a lot of those games, even the Johnstown Chiefs, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania and the Pittsburgh area, saw the Johnstown Chiefs a lot, saw the Wheeling Nailers a lot. Both of those events, going to those games – they were great, but I can honestly say that some of the times, the, the going to the Vegas Wranglers games, there were more people there, and you know they do a lot of things for families, a lot of promotions for kids and stuff like that. They really do a good job. They they do a great job with it. Do I think that an NHL team could do the same thing? Sure, but for the long haul, I don't think people are going to latch on to it. It's going to be new for a year, maybe two, maybe even three. But if they can't put a product on the ice that wins consistently, you're going to lose the fans and they're going to walk away because there's a million other things that are going to garner people's interest out there. My perfect example, and I think we talked about this before, the XFL. I was so psyched about the XFL coming out there. And a lot of people criticize the XFL. Oh, well, it's just wrestling on a football field. And that's because Vince McMahon was the big promoter behind it. He put a lot of the money into it and everything else. Of all the promoters that have come out in the last you know, few decades, he's probably one of the best. I mean, if you look at the track record of how wrestling blew up, it was all because of him. Putting that tag on the football and trying to, trying to reach out and, and try to put something a little more entertaining on the field with the XFL, I was all for it. I thought it was going to be something great. I went to three or four games the first year to the point where I actually purchased season tickets for the second year. Well, there wasn't one. And that's because the, the league folded. Now, that's not just to say because it was Vegas, but that's to say because it was the league as a whole and a lot of the other markets couldn't support it. Vegas lost interest very quickly because two years after that, 
you bring up conversations about the Las Vegas Outlaws, which was the team out there, and most of the people you talk with, they, the, the simple answer was who, because nobody knew what in the world you were talking about. And that's only because those, those people that you were talking with were not there. <laughs> so, I mean, they weren't there. They didn't live there. So that's what I'm saying. The, the market changes because people move in, people move out, and it, it's just it's constant and it, it it's a dynamic that i think would be very hard for an nhl team to be able to establish i hope i'm wrong i mean i seriously hope i'm wrong because the things that i've read and the stuff that i've heard it almost sounds like that's of any market that a team would go to that would be 9 out of 10 that would be where it would go okay so to answer my original question if you're in a pick two cities we're going to expand the NHL to 32 teams. Where would you put them? I am going to basically say we need another team in Canada, first of all. Whether that be Hamilton or, like I said, I don't necessarily think another team in Toronto is going to, is going to cut it. I think Hamilton is, is already, already primed and ready to have a team just judging by the preparation that they've done over the last few years to, to, to get that interest. And the second team, ah, that, that, that's a tough one. I, I don't want to go in another southern market. Really, that's the only place to go because that's the only place that you really have population that could probably support something like that. But I, I can't see another team going south. So as much as I would hate to say it, I, I'm going to say Seattle. I'm just going to go and say Seattle. If you could do Hamilton and Seattle, five years down the road, you may not see the Seattle team anymore, but I think the Hamilton team would survive. That, that's my, I guess that's my final answer on that. How about Quebec? That would be, see, I would, if I was going to pick two cities, I would, Quebec would be one of them. I wasn't thinking about Quebec. I, I don't know why. I mean, lots of reasons. I mean, I think that, like, you know, that, that whole situation, I mean, I know this is, like, ancient history, like, 20 years ago, but the, the whole Quebec Nordiques thing just oh man it was i i would like them to get their team back i wouldn't mind a seattle team i wouldn't mind a vegas team i think that'd be that'd be kind of fun definitely something in the toronto area you know hamilton or just something i mean because you know you got two teams in new york right well technically three if you count new jersey yeah so that would be that'd be the ones i'd pick so let's say you brought back a quebec team would you call them the nordiques that's not up to me but I think we know the answer. Uh, let's let's say you let's say it is up to you. What would you do? Oh yeah, they'd definitely be the Nordiques. What would you call the Vegas team? No idea. The Gamblers. Oh, I mean, come on. There's probably been like at least two teams with that name. I don't know. The Shooters. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, the the ECHL team that's out there now—they were called the Wranglers. Um, pretty positive they're still a team. I mean, Vegas had. Uh, what was the old Vegas team? Okay, so you had the Las Vegas Gamblers. Gamblers, there you go. And then you had the Las Vegas Outlaws. Outlaws was... Well, and then that was, uh, this was all in the 60s and 70s. Okay. And then you had the Thunder. Thunder, that's who I was thinking of. The Thunder. You had the Thunder, then the Aces, then the Flash. Okay. Oh, wait, the Flash was roller hockey. That doesn't count. Right. Then you have the Ice Dice. I don't like Then you that. had another incarnation of... The Gamblers, and then the Coyotes, but they were also roller hockey. 
uh, the Rattlers, Rattlers and the Wranglers. Yeah, the Wranglers. Like I said, the Wranglers are out there as far as I know now. The the uh, yeah, who was the one you said? Or the Thunder, the Las Vegas Thunder. That's the other team I remember. Because the Thunder were the Thunder were actually pretty popular. They had their own trading card sets and all kinds of stuff. Because a lot of NHLers came through that organization. I think even at one point they had uh, Manon Rayon play for them. Yep, they did. You know, that's one of those things where, yeah, it could be a huge thing. You know, you get into Vegas, Vegas is the entertainment capital of the world. You get all these people coming in, you get movie stars, you get famous people wanting to come to see these games. There's so many different promotions they could do, so many ways they could pump it up. I just I don't think it has the staying power. That's just my only concern about it. And for the NHL, for loving hockey as much as I do and for wanting everybody else to love hockey, I don't think that the casual fan that's trying to get introduced is going to latch on to a Vegas team. I think they're going to see through it. I think they're going to see that it's a marketing scheme more than anything else. I don't think they'll buy it. You throw a team in Canada, probably. I'd love, you know, perfect world scenario, I'd love to see Hartford get a team again. You know, I'd love to see the Whalers come back. It's funny, neither of us, neither of us even yeah, I mean, thought of Hartford. If I, if I had my druthers, I'd say bring back the Whalers. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that would love to see that too. Problem is, I don't, again, another area I don't think they could support a team. I just don't. That's just my opinion. All right, thanks for listening.